This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. This is iFanboy Pick of the Week number 905, brought to you by iFanboy listeners like you. And some of the iFanboy listeners are like other people, but collectively, there's some similarities. That's what I'm getting at. Thank you. Breaking up so hard to do, especially when it's I'm Josh Flanagan, and I'm here with my compadre, Hermano, and co-host, Connor Kilpatrick. Hello. Hi there. This hello. is I, I. Yes, hello. We did that. Hello. This is. <laughs> I was like, please do it again. Yes. The rule of threes, people. You got to learn them. You got to. You got to live it. Welcome to the iFanboy Pick of the Week, episode nine hundred five. Nine hundred five. Five. We are at the point now where every time I say the number, I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> what have i done with my life 905 episodes that's what you've done well like is it and it is that sort of double like i'm so proud of it and so happy about it but was it a good idea like it doesn't matter now <laughs> it's way too late it was pushed for 20 years ago i have no choice but to be proud of it god i wonder what i would say to myself in that time travel machine like it's 2001 and i'm going all right so you know 
<laughs> some of these decisions are good. Some aren't. Sell your pets.com stock. <laughs> I know Cosmo seems great, but it is not going to make it. <laughs> Every t- Does anybody out there remember Cosmo.com? I could tell you exactly when I knew Cosmo was terrible. And I know we have a lot to do, but my quick story is when I was working in TV at a college, we had a talk show and the founder of Cosmo came on to pimp Cosmo. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's the founder. He's the CEO. And he's being magnanimous in that tech guy way. And he's like, I'm going to get food for all the crew and Cosmo's going to bring it. And we were like, great, because nothing TV crew loves more than free food. And that food was like four hours late. And this is an oh order God. from the CEO of the company. And I was like, if the CEO's order can't come on time, no one's order is wow. going to come on time. This thing is toast. And it was. That's what I knew. There was a documentary on that. See, so my first experience with that was, it was I was in LA, not New York. And the New York infrastructure for those kinds of delivery things, if you're not well established, is problematic. But that's his problem to fix. Anyway, I found it one day for whatever reason. And I ordered, I don't know, like a movie to rent and then like they had CDs and yeah. and the, and like all the CDs were on sale and so yeah. I bought like a bunch of Beatles CDs for 9 bucks each and I was like this is the best <laughs> and then they went away and shut down and I was like oh that sucks and I happened to be in Burbank in a parking garage and I saw one of their drop boxes like a mm-hmm. metal Cosmo after they were gone and I put that shit in my trunk and I stole the Cosmo Dropbox, and inside was some junk, but also a pretty nice DVD copy of The Replacements with Gene Hackman and Keanu Reeves. Did you just admit to a felony? Yes. Well, I don't know. Uh-huh. Like, Is there an owner anymore? I'm not a lawyer, Josh. I really liked Cosmo. It was like a, like a souvenir for me, although I have no idea what happened to it. I, I didn't have it for a long time because it was a filthy <laughs> box for inside a parking garage, so this was way too much chance of urine. Anyway, right. uh, every week, one wow. of us picks the books that they like from their stack of comics, and we call that the pick of the week. I see you put it in a stutter there, but I didn't take it. And and uh, we are going to talk about there. that comic book and other comic books from the week. There's a patron pick, which was a comic book. It turns out there was listener mail if we have time. We are committed to getting through this efficiently and giving you a quality program. Yeah, we definitely started that way, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> but those were two new stories. I get it. Two new stories? A 905 After all episodes this time? in? Yeah. That's not nothing. There will be spoilers about the contents of those comics that we talk about. We're, you know, we're, we're not evil, but it could happen. So uh, you know how that works. Connor, you had the pick. I did. First, welcome all law enforcement listeners now. The pick of the week was G.I. Joe, Real American Hero, number 301. Definitely a statute of limitations. By Larry Hama, Chris Mooneyham, Francesco Segala, and Pepper So. And was there any doubt that the continuation of Larry Hama's G.I. Joe saga, now at Image Comics or Skybound Entertainment, would be the pick of the week? Josh and I had read the final, what was purported to be the final arc of Larry Hama's run. I spelled Larry Hama's name wrong in the script. It's Larry Hama's one M. Let's get it together. All right. You have Hama. We read the final arc at IDW because we thought it was going to be the end of G.I. Joe. And of course, any longtime listeners and viewers of the video show will know how important G.I. Joe was to our comic book fandom and just in general. Point of clarification, though, and mm-hmm. this is important. We had not been reading it all along. It no, was I've there. Been, oh, we sort oh. of, you know, it, I think I happened to read one like uh, 296, something like that, mm-hmm. randomly one week because I didn't have a lot to do. And I was like, that was actually great. And then you started reading. And then they were like, it's ending at 300. I was like, mother, come on. <laughs> so, uh, but we weren't, you know, weren't unfamiliar with it. It was easy no, enough no, to no, jump I, I mean, I read it faithfully up until, you know, like 110 or so around that point when they killed a bunch of characters off. And that was 150. I remember the, that, that, that Viper guy shot them all while they were in the they right. were in like the uh, in the pit. Uh, the pit, and then it went to Devil's Do, and I think we tried that for a while, and then it fell off there, and it bounced around a couple of places, and it was yeah Devil's Do, then it went to IDW. The point is this: we had read the final arc, so I wasn't I wasn't totally lost what was happening here. But first, let's discuss why this is pick of the week, and it happened on page two. I read page two, and I thought, well, that's going to win. I mean. What else is there? The first couple of pages are sort of a recap if oh. you're coming onto this early. You mean or coming the, you onto mean this without re- the, having read the fourth pre- caption? Previous. Well, it's the it's, fourth it's, caption. It's several captions on here. And right, I just, but. if I can get Comicsology to agree with me, here we go. The G.I. Joe team's primary adversary is Cobra Command, an international terrorist organization that began as a pyramid scheme. That's one. And then two is second in command is Dr. Mindbender, a rogue orthodontist who can manipulate thoughts <laughs> with his infernal brainwave scanner. That's number two. <laughs> That's new information. Nothing that I ever that I read this week was better than those two caption boxes. A rogue orthodontist, and that's brought up again in his little uh, card at the end. This 
continues from where kind of, not, not directly from where we left in the last arc. I don't think it did or did it. Uh, yeah, no, it, yeah, because well, they're, they're at escaping. a casino in the last arc. Well, whatever. They're escaping, and, oh, yeah, and they then, are. They're at a casino. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, yeah. There's the casino, and like it, it's like the next moment. And the reason that that clicked in because I didn't really remember it is that there's a guy back there with Cobra Commander, and I was like, who's that guy? And he's Sean's dad, and he's with Snake Eyes, who's Sean. Right. But then there's also snake eyes. <laughs> this felt like a warm, comfortable blanket, even possibly more so than the last arc of the IDW book, because that was so much going on, and I didn't know what the hell was happening with a lot of these characters. And there was a lot of new characters I didn't know about, and we had to learn from context. But this, even though it continued on from the end of that arc, you don't need to have it. Gives you the information. It does a really good job of setting the scene and giving you all that you need to know to enjoy this particular issue. It's issue 301. It's not issue one, so they're not starting the slate clean. They're continuing on from the, the previous issue. And then look, there's a couple things I don't love. I think there's way too many characters who wear Snake Eyes' mask on this team. There's like three of them. There was a delightful sort of lineup and, and description of everybody at the end. And one of my favorite parts of it was how often Snake Eyes was involved. <laughs> like the last one on that page was Don Moreno, who has right. a Snake Eyes type mask. And it's shit. It says, honed into a ninja master, inherited Snake Eyes' memory via brainwave scanner. I was like, you know what? Do it. Lean into it. <laughs> Well, you know what's really funny is I get to the end of the issue, and we're going to talk about the story and what happened in a second. I get to the end of the issue, I read Larry Hammond's little, not super long, paragraph-long essay, and then I was like, you know what? I really could have used like a character rundown on that. And then I turned mm-hmm. the page, and there it is. Yep. It's not every character from the series, but it's the most important ones. Duke, Snake Eyes, Scarlet Stalker, Storm Shadows, Sean Collins, who needs a codename, Lady J, and Don Marino, who also needs a codename. And then Cobra Commander, Dr. Mindbender, Serpentor Khan, because he's, he's a new version of Serpentor, Baroness, Destro, Zartan, Alpha 001, the AI bad guy, and Zerana. I could have used twice as many of those. I would have read them all. But he's not a bad guy all the time. He also turned on Cobra. It's Alpha so 001? Yeah. You read it. Like, it's it's a whole, there's a whole story they give you there. It's a wonderful recap. I thought it interesting that they went out of the way to mention that Snake Eyes, Scarlet, and Stalker were all founding members of G.I. Joe, but not for Duke, which was, was interesting. He, wasn't he not there initially? Because he wasn't. He was second wave, I don't think. He was, yeah, uh, originally Hawk was the guy, and then Duke came along later, I believe. Interesting. Cole Hauser, as a, no, is it Cole? Yeah. Cole Hauser. Cole Hauser, and then Hawk is uh, Clayton Abernathy. Yes. Those are things that I know forever, <laughs> like I know Tobias Beecher's Prisoner 97121B. <laughs> Why do I know it? I don't need to. So, in the last arc, Cobra has a casino on their island. What's great is it ever gets far enough away from it, the fact that Cobra was basically a pyramid scheme. It was a, it was a money-making scam. They turned into a terrorist organization Which run by great. this vainglorious lunatic Cobra commander. And so there's a casino on Cobra Island. There was a big battle in, it in the last arc. In this arc, a bunch of Joes are coming to the rescue. Duke and Wild Bill are flying the big C-17. What is this plane? Something like that. Could be cargo. Anyway, uh, the plane's going down. That was a whole exciting bit where they had to keep from crashing. Cutter's ship is helping a ground invasion. Cutter's boat. And it's all very fun. (laughs) So Serpentor says, fuck it. I'm going to blow this place up. He's going to set off a zombie bomb in the casino. And the rest of Cobra are like, wait, what? Wait, what are you doing? And then it all sort of literally comes to a head as the plane almost crashes in the casino. The boat with the troops invade. The bomb goes off. And then... The tragedy of it is that Sean, who was Snake Eyes' replacement until Snake Eyes was revived in the final arc of the last series. He's still, for all intents and purposes, Snake Eyes. He's wearing the outfit. He needs a new outfit. Yeah. Sean is the son of Wade Collins. Wade Collins, of course, you'll remember, is the fourth man in the uh, Vietnam LARP team, LLRP do you remember what LRRP stands for, Josh? No, I don't. I don't. My, my memories on some of these specifics have faded. Long Range Re- Recon Patrol, I believe, was what it was. It was Snake Eyes, Storm Shadow, Stalker, and Wade, which is always the mm-hmm. other dude who was okay, there. Right, it wasn't right, on right, G.I. Yeah. Joe. And so I guess he, they incorporated him somehow, Wade being the other member of the team, and, and Wade tragically dies in this issue. So it was actually a pretty big deal. And you have Stalker, Snake Eyes, Storm Shadow, and Sean carrying his body off the boat at the end, which is, it was a really great image from Chris Mooneyham, but also very emotional. It ties all the way back to G.I. Joe 26, the origin of Snake Eyes. Yeah. was the first time we saw that character. I thought Chris Mooneyham's art was just wonderfully chaotic. It had a bit of Lee Weeks to it. It had a bit of Sean Murphy to it. Yeah. Larry Hama had some really solid artists. We talked about this a couple episodes ago on G.I. Joe. Not always the best artists, but he had some really good ones. Empty Bright. Empty Bright and Steve Leolola. But I think one of the benefits of being on Image and them sort of really elevating this is you get a super high-end artist like Chris Mooneyham on this book. Again, not to say Larry Hama has not worked with really great artists, but this is something you wouldn't have seen back in the Marvel days, artists of this IDW, 
and Devils do. <laughs> I was going to say, IDW, you know, the page rates aren't awesome. So you're not necessarily going to get something who could make more money somewhere else in terms of an right. artist. The Devil do page rates were really good. It's just that they didn't pay them. Right, sure. <laughs> We're paying you $5,000 a page. Oh, okay. <laughs> the real problem with those books turned out that no one got paid. What's interesting is I'm sort of reading it in the art. A lot of times people can get by in the G.I. Joe books with sort of aping what those empty bright books look like for a really long yep. time and, you know, kind of keeping it simple. And I think that Mooneyham does that to a certain extent, but he's definitely bringing a different bit of a dynamism to it. There's, you know, a roughness. Look at page nine with that extreme close-up of Wild Bill as he's, you know, yelling oh, yeah. and he's pulling on the yoke. Yep. The image of Wild Bill is very Sean Murphy-esque, but then if you go right yes. to the left, that image is very Lee Weeks. Sure, I see that. Actually, I, I wanted to bring this page up. And I almost posted it on the Instagram because yep. people who know me, when I get to a page that is poorly composed and hard to read, I like to point it out. Yep. It's interesting to me. But I got to this page, and what happens on this page is that it goes left to the right, snakes down, pulls yep. back to the left again, and mm -hmm. ends on Wild Bill yelling. That breaks a rule, but it does it in a good way that is clear and works great. It's intuitive. That's a very old school page to me, yeah. in the best way. And then the, the lettering goes along with it and makes it work. It's, it's, it's a really well done page that, that breaks that rule of things that I say you can't break. I really dug the art. And at first, it took me a second to sort of like, what am I looking at? Is this good? And I look back, it's like Mooneyham, right? And I, I think it did all the things right. And also what I thought was interesting, you know, is at the end, I know there, there were, I don't know if there were essays, but there were letters mm -hmm. from the desk of Chris Mooneyham. And he sort of talks about himself and the history of the military and blah, blah, blah. And this is why I should be able to do it. No, didn't grow up with G.I. Joe. He's probably too young. Yep. And so many of the people come on to this like, oh man, I loved it so much, you know, but I, I couldn't have told you that. Like, who's committed to this art? You know, there's all these different characters and he came in, he did this military stuff. It's it might silly. be better that way because he's got nothing in his head about what it should look like. You know? Yeah, yeah, but but it, it, it is in keeping. It's not like, like this doesn't feel like G.I. Joe. It does. It's great in that way. But I think that there are bits where Cutter is actually, so two pages after that, that first panel where Cutter's driving the boat and just sort of the angle that we're looking at, he's controlling it. Mm -hmm. His face is in yep. a shadow. You get speed lines all around him. Yep. You know, you see that tension. You see him working. Again, it's a super simple thing, but <laughs> you, I know what you are. You just looked at panel three, didn't you? Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like that that drama and like like self-serious stuff and then goofy shit like that. And he's handling it really well. So, you know, at home... I'm talking about this cool <laughs> panel, and then two panels later, you see Serpentor, without looking up, grab Dr. Mindbender by the suspender straps, which <laughs> the fact that that hasn't happened by now, they're quite he's, kind of, he's trying to get away. He's got his arms up yep. like he's going to run. He's got one knee up. He's trying to <laughs> yoink his way out of there, and Serpentor says, where do you think you're going? Yeah. And Dr. Mindbender's face is like, oh. Huh? <laughs> this is the G.I. Joe wheelhouse, the tone, mm -hmm. where it can be very serious and very emotional, but it also never forgets that it's kind of silly. Yeah. And fun. That's the lane you have to go down with G.I. Joe. And it's funny when they announced this, you know, Skybound taking over these licenses, these Hasbro licenses. I was very excited for the Transformers ones, mostly because of Daniel Warren Johnson. And I was definitely going to check out the Duke book and probably the Cobra Commander book. But I hadn't really thought about picking up this one because the other ones, I think, take place within that inner John universe, right? So mm -hmm. those Duke and Cobra Commander ones are from the Transformers universe. They're sort of all connected. Duke was in the last issue of Transformers. But this was a continuation. I thought, you know what? We read the final arc and maybe mm -hmm. I'm good with it. And then I read this one and I was like, oh, fuck. And I went to Amazon and I hit subscribe. Yeah, they're, they're super fun. Damn it. This was awesome. We hadn't mentioned the colors, Francesco yeah. Sagala. This is like probably the most modern slash indie comic influence in the whole thing is that the color palette is pretty subdued, but also, you know, you'll have a page that is primarily greens and oranges and then another mm -hmm. page that is a lot of pink. It's not four-color bright or animated No, not series, at all. It's, it's, it, your subdued is a good way to put it. The last two pages have a very Top Gun sunset yeah. vibe yep. to them. You know, the, the big sun in the background with the mm -hmm. cloud lines through it, and the, that carries over to the background of all of it. it it's a, I can't think of words because I'm stupid, but, you know, it's not bright. It's not four-color comics here, mm -hmm. yep. which isn't cool. Even the G.I. Joe stripes on the sort of first page are muted. Muted is the word I was looking for. Yep. I was thinking... I definitely read at least probably a year of the Devil's Due books. I don't think I read any of the IDWs until the very end. So there's probably like 200. No, that's not right. There's probably about, no, there's probably about 100 issues of G.I. Joe here that I haven't read. More than that, probably like 150. There's a lot. I was reading this thinking, what happened to Major Blood? Why is Dr. Mindbender the second in command of Cobra? What happened to Tomax and Zaymot? 
You know, why is Zarana there but not Xandar? Like, it's, it's like there's a lot of questions that I'm gonna have to, that I'm kind of gonna have a fun time, you know, piecing together as we go here. Why is mm-hmm. Sean Collins wear a Vietnam style headband over his Snake Eyes mask to honor his father? I guess Sean Collins is wearing the exact same mask as Snake Eyes is wearing, which is a problem. No, but he was Snake Eyes. Right, I'm saying, but he they need a new give him a new mask. The other Snake Eyes, they just got back. Like they're on the same mission. He didn't just give right. him his clothes in the middle of it. Right. They'll figure that out. Give him time. It's not like he got out of the glass case or wherever he was, and they were immediately like, give me those. And he's like, well, I don't have anything else. <laughs> Shut up, Sean. And then his dad's like, Sean, we have talked about this. Sean, you're embarrassing me. Apparently, I think issue, maybe it's 155, one of them, or it's 110. Apparently, issue 155 is about Wade Collins. So it's, he starts there. And just to close a loop, and we will move on, is that Duke and Roadblock appear for the first time in G.I. Joe number 22. Really? Yeah, he are active security for the funeral of General Flag, shooting down and attacking Rattler plane. Duke was not till 22? That's correct. Wow, all right. I never really liked Duke, so I'm fine with that. I mean, I trusted him. He's not interesting. He's like Leonardo. That solo series is going to win me over. Yeah. Because I was like, all the people you're going to do to Duke? All right. You're going to have to win me over here, Josh Williamson. The blonde white leader guy? Come on! You got quick kick there. <laughs> He's dead, isn't he? Wasn't he one of the ones guys shot in the, t- in the trench? Probably. What, and then you was. got, what's Hector Delgado's story? That's interesting. Right. He can sail right. on sand, for God's sakes. Give me a grunt <laughs> solo book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll take a grunt. I want to do a story from the perspective of spirit. What about Zap? Ooh, Zap is, is, is old school, and he's kind of un... Is he first wave, second wave? Yeah, for sure. They were kind I would of definitely be a spirit one. Yeah. Let's stop this yes. conversation. Move on to Fantastic Four, 706 or 13. This is the only other book that I thought for a moment about being pick of the week other than G.I. Joe. Nothing had a chance after that page, but really the conclusion of this Fantastic Four dino story, including the terrific Alex Ross cover of Dr. Doom riding the dinosaur Dr. Doom with so much joy and glee in his masked face. Mm. I don't even think the size is right. He looks way too big to ride this dinosaur, but it doesn't matter. It's such a great image. One thing I really appreciate about Ryan North, what he's doing with these arcs, is that they're not long arcs. This is another two-issue arc, which is, yeah. he did before. I didn't want four, five, six issues of the dino. Yeah. Two was just the right number. And also, let's give a thought for the poor artists who have to design <laughs> a thousand characters and then only get to use them for two issues and then have to design a thousand more. <laughs> it's been a different alien race or extraterrestrial being in every single one. Uh, extra dimension. So if you recall in the last issue, a portal opened... The Fantastic Four got sucked into another dimension in which everyone is a dinosaur. The dinosaur version of Fantastic Four got sucked in the other direction, so they've landed in the regular universe, 616 universe. And so lots of chaos has ensued. Doctor Doom, from both sides, has taken this chaos to as an opportunity to take over both dimensions, both Earths. I really liked how they beat the Doctor Dooms. I really like how the two Ben Grimms outsmarted him in the most obvious possible way, but still worked really well. Yeah. I'm just looking at this Ebon Coelho art. Look at page 10. The shot from underneath where Dr. Doom is lording over everybody is terrific. Yeah. I'm enjoying his art so much I'm going to overlook the continued thing that I can't unsee. We talked about last time of Ben Grimm not having any kind of neck whatsoever. Look at page 22. I saw it and it has to be on purpose. I refuse to believe that that is an error. It just... So strange. It's too obvious with a person who's drawing... I was going to say anthropomorphic dinosaurs, but is that not actually true? They are correct anatomically but they're acting in a human way like there's a bunch of shots of like reed with his tiny little arms which are always funny like the art is too good in every possible way for that to not be on purpose because it's incredibly obvious like you have a profile shot where you can see the barest you know that that page 22 the barest sort of connection of line between chest and head i don't know what it means it's very weird i kind of want to ask but i don't want to know I think Until, whoever is hired to write the Fantastic Four film, they should also hire Ryan North to just do the dialogue for Doctor Doom because he's very good at it. They should hire Ryan North to come up with plots that straddle the line of being goofy and entertaining while also being incredibly intelligent and interesting sci-fi. Right. The sort of pace of these ideas that are flying at us is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I think I asked him about that when I had him on the talk explode. I was like, you know, like, there's just so many ideas. Do you think you're like flying through them? And he said it without being cocky or arrogant, but with being confident, which is so unusual for comic people. He's like, I'm mm-hmm. a writer. I think of ideas. That's what I have to do. And I was like, oh, <laughs> like it's, I'm just, some people are just incredibly intelligent and productive and imaginative. And then, I mean, God, what a perfect fit. 
This issue really has it all. It has the Avengers fighting the dinosaurs. It has Avenger dinosaurs. It has a terrific double Doctor Doom pairing that, of course, inevitably devolves into chaos. It has a terrific Ben Grimm. This arc was terrific. This was a really fun wrap-up to it. And now it looks like we're heading towards possibly finally resolving you know, the whole thing that set this mm-hmm. book up, which is that that one block of the Yancey Street got sucked into and it, time travel. It, and It's crazy because that first issue, you know, like it was a weird, like we were thrown in the middle of a story that was already going on and everybody hated the Fantastic Four and we didn't know why. And at the end of the issue, it was a big hole in the ground. And we were right. like, what is this? And now, like that has existed. We just accept that, you know, oh yeah, that's a thing that happened. And at the end of this, they remind you and they're going to be back tomorrow or whenever it was. Mm -hmm. And I thought that's a really nice structure. That's a really sort of bringing it full circle as it were. I also noticed that like this series has kind of been a Ben Grimm centric. He's been sort of the main character through the whole thing, which is interesting. And and coming off of that other clobber in time book that it sort of feels constant. Like I've read a lot of Ben Grimm lately. You know, just having that be the main character in a couple of books, 18 issues or so over the last year or something like that. It's going to be really disappointing when movie Doctor Doom is not as bombastic and arrogant as comics Doctor Doom, because that is really the best part of Doctor Doom. Yeah, they kind of... They're going to tone him down just like they toned Kang down. I was going to say. When he's written well, the bombastic arrogance and egomania that is counterbalanced by him usually being right because he's so smart. Right. And occasionally showing a heart is what makes him one of the best characters in comics. I feel like he's not far from like a Loki who's in the MCU, though. He could be the new Loki if they played it right. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly the the case. That would be smart because it's not like they don't know they have a villain problem, you know. Do they? Do they not know that? I don't know. Danger Street, Josh, number 11. Danger Street number 11 is a book that I have had a very hard time getting my head around in terms of trying to figure out what it is and what is going on. And that feeling stuck with me a lot. And I get to them and I go, wait, do I like this? And then I start to read it and I go, I really do like this, but I still can't tell you what it is. I know because it's Tom King, but I also just know reading it and watching it come together through this whole thing that all of these things that are random are not. It is well plotted and planned. You can trust the creators to, to sort of deliver in that way. But it, it is strange, and it makes you wait for it. And while these characters are not made up, there are a low tier of DC characters in here. Oh, um, yeah. For sure. When, when Creeper <laughs> is your most well-known, established DC character, by far, yeah. you have a, actually, I guess, Orion's in this, but still. He's not like a main. Orion, Darkseid, and Highfather right. are off to the side. They're hardly in it. But as it's coming together, like, I, I sort of know where we're going. And I think that this is this 11, so I, I assume it's 12, because that's the Tom King magic number. Yep. It all has come to this head. There's a really great shot that sort of illustrates that. You know, they're in Lady Cop's kitchen at the end, and the dead bodies, and there's a gross, melted, dead kid, which I was like, oof, you're going to do that, huh? There's three redheads there, which is weird. When you lay the creeper down, his costume looks very strange. <laughs> it comes out of him like a hairy starfish. I got to the end of it and I, and I, I was like this is really I, I'm finding it hard to talk about because I don't know how to describe it I'm not sure I can tell you what's good but I know I am compelled and I am hooked at this point yeah I don't want to look back on it yet because we still have another issue to go to really discuss you know how successful it was or wasn't or what I found myself thinking you know this is either going to be a really interesting experimental and I wouldn't failure is too hard of a word again right. I don't want to talk we haven't finished yet but at the very least if the next issue doesn't satisfactorily wrap it up it was still an interesting experiment. That was my feeling while reading this. Sure. And I really enjoyed reading every issue. Also very distracted by how gigantic Lady Cop's kitchen was. Well, she's in the middle of nowhere. Like real estate a whole other giant. thing. giant. I've only been in kitchens that size, like in the upper echelon of people in New York, money-wise. Like that is a giant kitchen. Nah, they're in the middle of nowhere. Real estate's cheap out there. It was built in a time where they had nothing but space and doesn't cost anything. And she's a civil servant in a place, so who knows, though? Listen, it is a big kitchen. I'm not going to lie. Giant it, You can lay down eight to ten bodies in that kitchen. Well, well, we know three for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's room for a fourth in between two of them. I will say that if I had to pick a favorite page out of here, it would be very easy because there is basically one page where Highfather dies and him and um, Darkseid have like a moment yeah and those last is he dead i mean he looks like he's dying or is his we're know. done or whatever i mean it, it has that but it doesn't matter because the idea is that the threat is so big that these two mortal enemies that we've known for 50 plus years you know as fighting against each other while having some respect i really like this tiny little part of the story yeah 
And, you know, and, and Dark Side says, you know, arrogance is the weakness of the kind and your demons are renowned for your modesty. And he chuckles and they laugh together. You know, it's it's the killing joke sort of thing. Like they both have a laugh together, but it was really sweet. It was really well done. The book in general gives me that same feeling of the Rorschach book because it's the same creative team, but just as these disparate parts that are coming together and these moments that you get to live in that are interesting and un DC Comics like while also being DC Comics like, I find it very satisfying. I really like the kids on that plane. I don't know what we're calling them, the mutant kids or whatever they are, but uh-huh. I like how they were just kids, right? So they right. they had that diamond sword, the one that one of those dudes wielded. And they just well, there's one kid who, who keeps regenerating like a plant, so they keep chopping his right. arm off with the diamond sword. Like, now do this one. And they're still acting like kids, you know? And he says something like, I've never lost seven arms in a day before, but he's also blasé about it. And so this brings me to the point that I have noticed. Mm-hmm. You may remember... There are touch points in comic books that we have noticed and pointed out, such as I Got This. Uh And we are becoming very heavy on people in comic books swearing and using the, you know, the hashtag question mark, whatever, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. It's all over this book. It's also all over the Penguin book, that character who was in the other, um, who swears all the time. And... I know why he's doing it. That's his thing with this character. That was his thing with the other. If I had a complaint about Tom King's work, you got two characters who'd swear all the time like that. And I actually don't like it. I don't find it all that interesting. I don't remember which book it was. In one of the books, you had a character who was swearing constantly. And then another time they said something like, get your butt over here. And I was like, they would have said ass if you have them swearing all the time. <laughs> and so it, it it is against itself. And I know, I've noticed it in other books. And I'm saying, I'm not a prude about swearing. I swear too much around my kids, all that. But in art, in a story, it sets a tone that sometimes is distracting. Yeah, I'm not calling it a gimmick, but it is definitely a thing. It's not just Tom King. We talked about two Tom King books where it's happening. It's it's, it's happening in other books a little. I don't have a problem. I swear all the fucking time on the show. But my whole thing is like, yes, let them swear or don't. You know, right. Just let them say the words in the books or not. Are we all adults here? And if you don't, I'm fine. Like, I don't need swearing in my superhero comics for the most part to make them feel like they're adult they're going to do that through the actions and reactions and stories and things like that i mean it's a signal basically to your reader that this is not for kids anymore and i just i don't know i don't like it it's not the fault of this but also it is absolutely becoming more common another writer who i really like is doing it a lot too and you're gonna watch people listening you're gonna start to see it you're gonna be it really is everywhere just a thing i've noticed that's a that's a seems to be a little thing that's going on when last we spoke of Wesley Dodd's The Sandman, you were on the fence about the book. Issue two came out this time. It was issue one when you were on the, you said you were on the fence about it. What are your thoughts now? Really like this issue a lot. <laughs> it was enough that- It was very good. It was very good. And, and I think I'm like this with sort of the first issue of a thing. If I don't feel like it quite gave me enough to care, I won't commit to it. But I think this built on what the other issue was in terms of telling me who this Wesley Dodd's is. Mm-hmm. Nothing new in this one, but it shorted up for real and, and sort of understanding what his goal is, what his fears are. <laughs> it's not rocket science in terms of plotting. As he's a guy who was in the war. He saw too many people die and he made a gas that could knock people out instead of kill them. But in doing so, he came up with a lot of different versions of poison gas and then someone came and stole him. So now there's an evil Sandman out there evil with Sandman. his poison gas. Fine. Whatever. The flashbacks to the war were really unsettling and really well done. Yes. That he would have all this guilt from the war and also from him developing these other gases in his search for a knockout gas was interesting. His house getting burgled and the gas and his equipment being stolen, everything else being burned down. He's basically lost his entire life. was interesting. They brought him down to nothing, basically. He's now going to have a person out there who's going to sully his good name. At the end, I was like, oh, shit. And there's lots of folks that we've met through the course of this who could be the culprit. You know, like, oh, sure. is, like, yeah. is it that super nice guy who gave him the apartment next to him who is really effusive? Is it his girlfriend? Is it whoever? Is it, you know, like, it could be a the lot the of DA, things in classic, it, yeah. right, in, in classic style. I thought that was really good. And so that whatever the fight that he goes into, oh, where are they robbing? He goes to find the people. It's a store on Fifth Avenue. And he goes to yeah. find the people because it's a connection to his robbery. And the way that fight went, I thought was interesting because it really was sort of a, like, it reminds me of The Watchmen. Mm. The early guys, the Minutemen people who are, they're just sort of starting to learn how to, you know, they're just fighting regular people and they kind of don't really have powers and it's not really pretty. And I thought it felt like that. That was really nice. And then finally, the last thing is, you know, I wasn't paying attention to the art actively as I read through it. 
And I sort of got near the end and, and I thought, man, that really does look great. And, and I reminded myself, all right, Riley Rossmo did this. Go back through the pages and I'm starting to look at all the different things. And it's I just terrific. Think, this is beautiful. I mean, this is a guy who's been around for quite a while, is a talent. We've already said that. But like this right here, he's doing some of the best work I've seen. Look at that first page. He did the title of the issue within the drawing of the burned house, which is slightly canted. There's an inset where the front door would be. And it right. is upright while the house is sort of slanted. It's really thoughtful composition, really strong storytelling, his character work. He gets to be cartoony, so he gets to be exaggerated when he draws people. So it makes it much easier to tell who people are in a world where most people are not in costume. Right. And I, I just I just really appreciate it. Also, with that same, there's something modern and something classic about it all at the same time. Somebody gets punched and there are stars up in the air. He's drawing beautiful Art Deco buildings and cars that don't just drive, but they pop up in the air because they're moving so fast. He's perfect for this era. I would love yes. to see a JSA book from him. We talked about it in the first issue where he showed yeah. a brief flashback to the whole team. I was like, oh man, give him a JSA book. But I do want to mention that fight scene real quick where Sandman breaks up the robbery. For the pacifist who doesn't kill, it's pretty brutal. Yes. There's the one panel on page 19 where he realizes that, is the gas diluted? Is that why they can't? It's not working on them? Something's with the gas. No, he's on, he's gas. on meth. He's on amphetamines. And the amphetamines oh, right, The guys are all on amphetamines, so it's, it's counteracting the gas. So he, he fucking shoves the gun into the guy's mouth to shoot the gas directly into his system. And I was like, first of all, you just knocked out all of his teeth. And second of all, that's a brutal move for somebody who's like, I'm a pacifist. He still has his teeth in the second to last panel. He's okay. He shouldn't, though. <laughs> but I like that aspect of him where he, yeah. he has this urge in him to not really hurt anybody, not kill anybody, certainly, and develop this drug that incapacitates without killing. But he's also a war veteran who is right. a hero and has to fight people, and he has the ability to be rough and tough about it. I like that aspect of it. It's a really good book. This closed the loop for me and, you know, like brought me in. Whereas before, I, like, I don't know if I quite have the hook, but I, I did on this. And that's kind of why I wanted to bring it up. Awesome. Hey, folks, if you would like to support this show, which we definitely rely on and we appreciate, you can go to patreon.com slash iFanboy. You will directly support the show. Historically, people have unlocked shows for everybody. There's a great community of uh, listeners and viewers. It's definitely I mean, technically, viewers. they are viewers on a monthly sure. basis on the Hangout. And they're looking at the community and the words there, type, sure. right? Yeah. Uh, they're, on Discord they're looking and, at their phone as the show plays. That's a viewer. Right. Discord and Facebook. There's a monthly patron hangout. There is tier exclusive merch. This is the way that Patreon works uh, this way. Depending on the level of support, after three months, you will get a Junior Jamoke t-shirt or, or it could be a tote bag or it could be a hoodie, stickers, mug, poster, all sorts of things in there. At $5 or higher, you will get a patron power. When your turn comes up, you can access the Discord server at that point. $10 or higher, you get an ad-free feed of this show so you don't have to listen to me or connor hawk goods <laughs> you can go to patreon.com slash i fanboy for that over I'm just talking I, about my underwear i know you do i do too i know i liked it both kinds <laughs> ifanboy.threadless.com i'm definitely still a customer i'm in <laughs> ifanboy.threadless.com is where there are 13 designs to be put on t-shirts and more things many many more things it's very fun to go through there and click on the different things and then it shows our little designs on them oh that'd be cool to get and then i don't get them but you should ifanboy.com slash support there's a direct paypal link there if you feel like you want to do it that way and of course anybody who does any of those things we completely appreciate those are very active things that you can do but you could go to ifanboy.com slash amazon where you will find a general link to amazon that's an affiliate link there so it's uh, we sent you so we get a little bit of that which is really helpful and if you were going to do it anyway and you want to go through our thing that would be great please do that there are links to buy the books on Booksplodes when that happens lots of ways to, to get there from there but thank you for people who did that and finally bookshop.org is the way to aggregate local independent bookstores to get books through web orders. Those are wonderful businesses to help them out. Wherever we can fit in a link for those books through bookshop.org, we will do so. Especially this holiday season when you're buying books. Yeah, absolutely. This week, we saw big game number five of five, the final issue of Mark Miller's big crossover series that involves all of his characters from all of his books, a lot of them I have not read. It ended up being a fun ending. I think the problem with this book is the problem I've had with several of his recent works, which is that it's just not long enough. Yeah. Five issues is more like an overview or an outline of the story. If, if you're doing something this big with all of your characters for the first time ever, you got to do 12. You got to really grow in, into the story. There wasn't really a moment for quiet. There wasn't really a moment for character building. It was just all action all the time. That's and it was thing. fun and I enjoyed it, but it was just kind of like, man, what a missed opportunity to really tell a, a, a really epic creator-owned tale of all these disparate characters working together instead of just having them sort of appear in the big fight scenes, which I enjoy because Pepe Larraz is the artist and he's incredible. If you recall from previous issues, a bunch of the characters got killed off. Well, in this issue, Hit Girl finds a time machine, goes back, saves everybody so everybody's alive again. And 
they save the day and they beat Nemesis and they beat uh, the main villain, which I, I totally missed in the first issue. The main main villain is Wesley Dodds. Not Wesley Dodds. That's the Sandman. <laughs> <laughs> Wesley from, dude from Wanted. Yeah. Yeah. He's the main dude. And Nemesis is his sidekick. And they end up beating him. And everybody's alive again. And the, the big development here that's relevant to you, Josh, is that Kick-Ass, the quote-unquote first superhero, although that's not true because there were superheroes before him. They just everybody forgot Dave about him. Dave Blazinski, right? Yeah. He is now joined the Ambassadors as America. Oh. So if they do another series of ambassadors, he will assume will be in it as the American character. Well, all right then. At the end of it, he has got a whole long timeline of all of his books in the reading order that came out. And I've read half or so. And so the other ones, I just like, who's that guy? But he's from a book I didn't read. Or maybe a little, a little more than half. I think he did a really good job of weaving everyone in and giving them something to do. But I just feel like it could have been a really great series if it had been given more room to breathe as opposed to just a sort of a slam banging action story for five issues that was fun. But feels a little bit like empty calories because you're not really getting the, the good stuff. Yeah, which is sort of often why I've avoided Mark Miller stories in the past. It's like if you take Mark Miller books and you combine them with the DC Marvel books, you'd get the right amount of action and the right amount of character mm -hmm. development as opposed to too much action or not enough sure. action, mostly the Marvel DC books. I got to find that middle ground. Wildcats number 12. This is the last issue of this series by uh, Matthew Rosenberg. Uh, art in this one was by Danny Kim and Tom Derenek. I didn't really notice a difference between them, although sure it's really obvious, but it read really well. It was fun. In a way that Wildcats can be, in the way that almost all of Matthew Rosenberg's scripts and stories are, but the but of is, and, and we're going to run up against this later. And so I'm all, probably going to put a placeholder here. I'm glad I read it. I thought it ended fine. I think, you know, uh, Rosenberg has a really good grasp on Grifter. Mm. There are a lot of other characters, and I felt like maybe it could have been pared down a bit, but at the same time, it's kind of fun to have sort of everybody show up, including characters right. in the DC universe. But it was a heck of a lot to keep track of. Probably didn't need to be 12, but again, he actually does that too. He did that with um, the Joker, the man who stopped laughing. Right. That's the thing that he used to do, is to revel in it. And he has a lot more of those times to be quiet, but it also feels like it's moving really quickly. Okay, so there is a thing that I don't think worked about this. Oh, and I'm going to come back to it later. Also, this book had a lot of swearing symbols and right. stuff in it as well. Or one of them, I don't remember if it was this book. One of the books had like a, a black, like a redacted line over it. I don't think it was this book. It was another book. If I find it again, I'll let you know. But this one definitely did it. And he did it a lot in that Joker book too. I'm glad I read it. You know, like, like he's one of my favorite writers. But the things that didn't work weren't his fault, I don't think. How's that? We'll get back to yes, we will. that in a second. Cap Wolf and the Howling Commandos number two by Stephanie Phillips and Carlos Magno. This is essentially an Elseworlds book or a what if book. It's you know not in continuity. It doesn't match up with the previous Cap Wolf story, which was in the current you know life of Captain America. This is a flashback to World War II, where Captain America is leading the Howling Commandos on a raid on a German castle, and at that castle they're doing werewolf experiments, and Cap gets infected, and now he's a werewolf. This is another four-issue miniseries in the past during the war in no way that lines up with the old Cap Wolf story. So it's a what-if Cap, Cap Wolf in World War II. And I'm liking it. It's really fun. Tom Dundogan does not like Cap Wolf. He does not trust him. They kind of want to kill him, but... He's a wolf. He's a wolf. And by the end, the big reveal on this page is that they infect an entire German platoon with the werewolf drug, and so now there's a whole fucking mess of Nazi werewolves that they've got to fight. So like, it's basically that kind of story. And Stephanie Phillips doing a World War II story. Once again, finding a way in this weirdo comic book world we live in to do a, a genre story outside of the norm in the big two books. And she's, she sort of excels at that. She's uh, It's the, the Garth Ennis magic trick. I mean, it's not a straight up World War II story, but it's, it's as close as you're, you know, not as close as you're going to get, but it's hard to do these days. Mm -hmm. I think it's super fun. It's a four issue, quick little Elseworlds tale that if you like Captain America and World War II stories, I think it's worth, worth reading. Don't be put off by the Cap Wolf part of it. It's fun. Oh, that's cool. Uh, let's uh, head briefly into Star Wars Corner as we head into the final round of this dark droid storyline that is going through all of the books. And this has been a great crossover. Ooh. There was the earlier one, which was the, whatever the big criminal organization was, Crimson Dawn, I think maybe, or something like that. And it was fine. Crimson whatever, Dawn? But wasn't that the group in Die Hard? Crimson Dawn. Wait, I don't know. It it like, we want, like we want all the prisoners from Crimson Dawn to be released. Yeah. It's something like that. So. It's like the third group in Star Wars. It doesn't matter. It's not the point. So in this one, you you have basically this droid. Oh, no, it's Asian Dawn. Asian Dawn. There you go. Crimson Dawn is Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Back up, son. 
But I was I was half right. So there's this droid, and he basically infects all other droids and brings them into him. It's a, it's a horror story, really, within Star Wars. But like within the edges of Star Wars, it doesn't really involve the major characters. It's just sort of a thing that's happening in the Star Wars world, which is if you're going to do it again, like on paper, I don't know that this works, but it's actually been really fun and mm-hmm. quite thoughtful. I've been like, how's this going to get solved? How are they going to go through it? Like they got Lobot, and then they got C-3PO, I think. Mm-hmm. And this issue was a lot of droids sitting around talking to themselves. <laughs> Wait, though. So okay. so there was the one guy, and I don't, I don't remember if he even has a name, but he's the first droid, and he said, I must eat, and I must become everyone. And so, like, that's his deal. And what he wants to do is get into the meat. He wants to be able to take over the humans or the, you know, organic creatures to sort of be everywhere. Mm-hmm. And what he does at, cer- at a certain point is it gets so big that he can't handle it all. So he splits off his personality into like a little council of like five different robots. And they spend most of this issue talking to each other about mm-hmm. what they're doing and why. Mm-hmm. And it's really well written. Charles Soule killed it. Like it's great sort of sci-fi overly wrought in a certain way. There's some twists in there. I, I, I just, every time this comes around, I've enjoyed it more. I don't even know. It's like a really good story that takes place in Star Wars rather than a really good story. Mm-hmm. But to make that work, I think, takes a heck of a lot of skill, and it's been really fun. What do these dark droids want, Josh? I mean, it's just to consume everything and be around everything and control, you know, like bad guys. So they're the bad guys, the dark droids? Yeah, but there's some things in here that change that around. It also does, if you haven't seen it on my Instagram, the first page of the issue. I saw that. I laughed pretty hard about that. that. Yeah, yeah. The, there's a conference room uh, where they're having, <laughs> where the Imperials are having, in the back, there's stormtroopers like outside the windows guarding it, but they absolutely look like they're peeing into urinals. It, it, does. it does. It's like it's not even once you see it. No, it's totally does. I don't know how that got through. All right. Yeah. So those are the books we want to talk about. But patreon.com slash ifanboy, you can vote to add a book to the rundown. Every patron gets a vote. And this week, an overwhelming number of patrons voted for Outsiders, number one from DC Comics, written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. I have so many typos this week. I think I was rushing to get the script out. Well, that makes sense. Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, the writing team, art by Robert Carey, Valentina Tadeo on colors, and Tom Napolitano on letters. And this is somehow related to Speed Force, because when I tap on it on Comicsology, it says Outsiders, 2023, number one. And then in double parentheses, Speed Force 2023. I don't know what that means. This is a reimagining slash continuing of Planetary using DC characters. And I hated every minute of this book. <laughs> Well, right, right away, shots fired. Yep. So yes, this is planetary. So the first thing out of the gate is, I was going to say, it's not Duke. It's uh, Luke Fox, who's Lucius yeah, Fox's son. And right away, I know that we're being thrown into the world of everything that has happened with Gotham that you have not liked. Mm-hmm. So Lucius Fox has all of Batman's money. I don't mm-hmm. really know what happened with Kate Kane, but she's like, this isn't do with Batman. Is it like, no, no, it's us instead. And I did like the thought is like, like Lucius Fox would give Bruce Wayne his money back. I just do. At what point he says, we're funding a new initiative. And I went, with whose money, Luke? <laughs> Not yours. So they start off on this little journey. Come with us. It's a new team. And I thought, all right, well, let's see what it's like. I like the idea of Kate Kane. You know, it's one of those characters I don't think anybody's really had a good handle on since Greg Rucka initially wrote her. I'm financing a new organization, not a super team, no vigilante justice or spandex required. Yeah. Our purview isn't fisticuffs on rooftops and keeping supervillains in charge. It's knowledge. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Sounds expensive. I didn't know what was coming first. And then uh, they go to Antarctica and a lady walks out and says, I'm drummer. And I was like, whoa, that's. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know when that character changed, whatever. What is that? At that point, did you notice that Luke was wearing a white suit? I don't think I did actually until later. It was definitely later. And then I was like, oh, there's the, the three of them. And the fourth man is Lucius, the fourth man. I didn't notice it until I realized they were on the carrier. When mm-hmm. I realized they were on the carrier, I went, oh, and I sort of put it all together. And <sighs> so here's the problem. And here was the problem with Wildcats. And I don't know if this exists for everybody, but this attempt to merge the Wildstorm universe in with the DC universe has been going on for the better part of a decade, if not longer. Mm -hmm. And if you are from a point of time where they were separate things, it doesn't feel okay. It's awful. I'm not not willing to go. Like it's just like, they're different things and they have different, and and the world of the Wildstorm universe being in the DC universe dilutes both. Yeah. That's what I mean. That's that's really awful. It's not the same sensibility. It's a different world. It would be like if they tried to slam top 10 into DC. It just doesn't work. 
I think that there was also a point in this where, oh, this is the one that has, they scratch out the words. They're, the swears are didactic. Blackboxed. Yep. Yeah. And I, I, I don't like that either. Because it's the same thing. It's just like, all right, if you're going to do it, do it. If not, just have them use PG words because it's better. Also, in, I don't remember, in Planetary, did they swear? Uh, I don't. I feel like Warren Ellis could go either way and it was okay when he did either thing, but it was, it fit the thing. Probably not. So there's a bit where, actually, no, it wasn't when they went in the character. There was all the sort of bodies in, there were skeletons or whatever, and this is the century babies. And I was like, oh, we're doing this all the way. That's sort of when it occurred to me that they're just doing a version of Planetary, which it can be good. I mean, Tom King's Rorschach was awesome, but probably not. But also at this point, I also realized like, oh, the writers are kind of trying to do Warren Ellis. And that was what really got me. I yes. mean, look, the too many words, by the way. Foundation aside, the fact that I don't like the Wildstorm universe being the DC universe, the fact that they've stolen Bruce's money and they're just spending it on this bullshit. Like he's real. He's not real. <laughs> I'm glad you acknowledge that. I mean, he's real to me. It felt like, and this is no disrespect to Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, who've written a lot of things I have liked. Yes. It felt like they were trying to do Warren Ellis, and only Warren Ellis can do Warren Ellis. And also, he's much smarter than most people writing comics. That's just the fact. So he was able to use that to his benefit in writing Planetary. And this sounded like people who were trying to write that smartly and weren't able to. And again, this is not a knock on them. I'm sure they're very smart guys. They're nice guys. But it just felt like a guy doing an impression of someone who's very idiosyncratic. And it's like, you can't do it. It just makes it sound worse. I agree. I thought it was actually fairly well done in terms of how it sounded and it was, but it was an impersonation. And I mean, the other side of this is he treads lightly. If we are going to cancel Warren Ellis because of his misdeeds and people have collectively decided we don't want to buy stuff from him or or we don't want to hire him or whatever, that's fine. The market and people have the ability to make that decision. You can't do a tribute act to him, though. Right. Can't do a cover band. I feel like that's wrong. Right. I mean, he is, if, if nothing else, a very unique creator with a voice that no one else has. And as you said, extremely intelligent and trying to do it is going to be less than. And that's sort of the problem. And that's one of the reasons that this, like, I don't think it was bad. I don't think, you know, technically you're, you're taking these elements, building a story. I think it looked good. The coloring was really nice, but it is trying to evoke a feeling. And that feeling is not authentic. Yeah, It's an attempt at being authentic. And, and also like, I don't know who's clamoring for this. Nobody, and this is just the 15th attempt to redo the Outsider right. brand. It never sticks. They keep trying different avenues. And this time it's like, well, what if we made the Outsiders planetary? Like at the beginning, I thought when they were describing whatever it was, I thought, oh, okay, so this Outsiders is going to be a different thing because I never quite have figured out what it was or why. And I thought, okay, they're going to do a different kind of thing. And then I was like, no, they're not doing it different. They're just doing a thing that already exists and calling it the Outsiders. Yeah, I mean, I really love Planetary's book. We did two books on the two volumes, the two uh, absolute volumes, whatever they were. It's a great book, a book that's seminal to that time period. The time we were starting iFanboy. So it's a very sort of important book mm-hmm. for iFanboy. It holds up. And so to see sort of a cover band of it with two Gotham characters and then this other random woman who seems like a combination of Drummer and Chiquita is weird. Is Drummer like another one of those things that sort of gets passed on to another cipher over and over? I don't remember. Yeah, I, I don't remember. We read Planetary and then did a book split on it, right? We finished we did two. it. Two yeah, books yeah. Plus. Right, right, right. And I don't remember. It was a while ago. Don't bring it back. Stop bringing it back. It was great. Use those ideas. Use that style. Use the building blocks of that thing from an idea standpoint to build things like, oh, like take the influence from that and build it into something, but a straight up, you know, impersonation. Yeah. I mean, if you don't know, I don't know how it feels. So that is the thing with the Wildcats book is that ultimately, I think it's well done. I like reading those characters, but it was like John Constantine. Like he doesn't belong in there. It doesn't fit. And these characters don't can't be in a world where there's a Superman. And you had one of my favorite writers doing a damn good job trying to make it work, but ultimately it felt lacking and wrong and overfull. There's too many ingredients in the dish. Right. But I don't know how it feels if you didn't know those things separately. I don't think it would feel like anything. It'd be like, what is all this mess? That's what I think it would feel like. Can you imagine reading this and going, oh, it's really cool. And someone goes, oh no, there was a planetary book that was, you know, transcendent. This is just them trying to mine it. It's tough because that book is also a commentary on comics, right? Like so much that was going on at that time. That book was a direct commentary oh, yeah, yeah. on comic books. They dealt with avatars of not only the pulp heroes, Tarzan, Sherlock Holmes, whatever, but also Fantastic Four. And like it was a whole thing. That was the point of it. Yeah. It was probably the most successful version of that outside of Watchmen in the modern era. 
There's just at one point where there's somebody, I think it was the drummer, you know, used the phrase spandex fetishist, which was an old Warren Ellis line. I was like, oh. And, and, and also, like, the, like, like that's a been there, done. We've done it. You don't. Yeah. We had that era of comics. We're not embarrassed to be reading these characters anymore. Right. Hey, Outsiders number one, ratings. Ratings out of five. As I said, I, I don't think it was a unskillfully made comic. I think that they had a job and they went out and I think they did probably the best that could have been done, but the foundation of it is not going to work for me. 2.75. Ooh. Ooh. I don't think it was terrible. I don't want it. It's different. You know, like, I don't think it should be. I'm not going to stick with it. I'm not going to read more. But was it bad? No. I mean, like, the the craftsmen went on. They made their thing. I'm not interested in it. 2.5. Sticking with it? Patreon.com slash iFanboy. Thanks to the patrons. And I don't want this to sound negative in terms of the patrons. Like, I like when they give us books to read that we don't like, and then we get to figure out why. Were you going to read this? Oh, God, no. Oh, you weren't? I knew the premise. Oh, I didn't know what it was going to be. I did see Kelly and Lansing, and um, they're like 50-50 with me. Yes. They're very hit or miss. And so on a week where I was like, eh, I wasn't going to. I knew it was a planetary thing, and I was like, nope. But then I had to. And I enjoyed the conversation, so there you go. I guess I hadn't even looked at the cover because it's so goddamn clear what it is. Yeah. Like, I just blundered in, and like, I'm supposed to be a guy who knows this shit. I'm like, how did you miss that? Because you didn't look at covers anymore. That's fine. That's you. Be you, Josh. I did. I looked at one other cover this week, and I sent you a picture from it before I read the book, and I was like, that cover is awful. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. Yeah. Josh and I's text is where it gets real catty. Try to keep that off the show. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. Every patron gives a vote to add a book to the rundown, but if you give it the $5 or higher level every month, you get a superpower live on the show, like this gentleman. Kyle Wade has mastery over how slippery or not slippery surfaces are. So any Mm. surface, it doesn't have to be a floor. It could be, you know, ceilings, walls, sideways. He can increase or decrease the level of friction. Mm. Everything could be banana peel slippery, you know, within limits. It's nothing to do the whole earth. But if if you're, you know, in a room. Uh, That can be, you can make the area be very grippy underneath you so that there's a great deal of friction. Yeah. There's all sorts of, just in terms of moving furniture, hugely helpful. You have given out friction powers before, but that's okay. Is this a new one? Not exactly this one. Not exactly this one. I will tell you that I looked up at my little list of notes, and the Mm. last few I made were not very specific. So what I saw was slippery surfaces. (laughs) And then I just started talking. And that's how it works. That's why, you know, sometimes you go somewhere really interesting. I'm trying to remember my other frictionist things. Largely, the best benefit of this is that you can make escaping criminals fall down in a silly way. It just makes me wonder how often during the day you're thinking about friction. That's all. I do think that falling on a slippery floor with the one leg that gets kicked up mm-hmm. very is funny. one of the most comedic images possible. Sure. The only thing that's, that, in my mind, surpasses the slip and fall leg up in the air is what I like to call the off-screen tackle. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, yeah. It yeah. is when, when a that's character is taken out by another character or object from off-screen that they don't see coming. Absolutely. J.J. Abrams, of course, you know, he does it with a bus quite often. He has buses tackle people, but yeah. I like to tackle tackle. And sometimes, like, I don't really like it when you see it coming, because a lot of times you'll you'll say, oh, look at this shot. This is framed. Right. He doesn't see anything coming, but we all do. I really like it when you don't see it coming. Yeah, that's always the best. That's a different thing, though. But after that, though, is the slip and fall. Like I said, we've been skateboarding a lot, so grip tape is on my mind. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. Thank you, Kyle, for being a patron. We appreciate the support. We do have a note here. We got a note from Clark who wrote in and said, I wanted to let you guys know about a tragedy for one of your patrons. Scott B., a.k.a. the one-man Gin Blossoms cover band, was in an accident where he was hit by a car while he was riding his bicycle. He is improving, but this is a life-altering event. And so we just wanted to say to Scott that we hope you recover quickly and as the best of you can. And we're very sorry to hear this. And our thoughts are with you. And we give sending you our best. We're sorry about this. I know Josh, as a bicyclist, probably yeah. feels this acutely. That makes me angry, and I'm, I'm really sorry, Scott. But anybody out driving a car, just remember, you are covered and protected by tons of metal. And a person on a bike, even if they're slowing you down for half a second, or you don't see them, like, you can kill them. And it's a really, like, it's a very personal, like, I get very upset about stuff. Like, I'm so hard. Sorry to hear that, Scott. Yeah, watch out for people. We wish you the best, car. and hopefully you recover as best as you can and you know let us know let us know what happens how it goes how are you doing we appreciate your support please uh, don't worry about that support anymore <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so hang in there buddy as best you can all right back to the nonsense uh we can do at least one email kane t what's an opinion you've held in your younger years on this show 
that you feel has changed the most in recent times regarding comic storytelling methods, the medium in general, or whatever. As an example, within the first five episodes or so, Connor loathes the return of Silver Age mentality to modern comics. But now, <laughs> rightfully so, World's Finest is one of his favorite DC ongoings. This is absolutely true, and it would be my answer. In 2020, when, when we were in lockdown and I wasn't doing anything, and I went back and I cleaned up all the show notes from the old shows, or created them if they didn't have them, I, I listened to a bunch of the old shows. And not just me, mm-hmm. uh, oh, you sure. and also Ron, at the time, we all hated the silly Silver Age stuff that would occasionally pop up. You know, We were in our 20s. We were very concerned about comics being serious and taken seriously. And so we didn't like the sillier stuff that I love now because I'm older now. I'm 20 years older and your mentality and opinions should evolve as you change yourself. The things I didn't like then are things I I do like now. Well, I think that, you know, back then we came from an era that was very protective of what comics could be, that they were like serious or they weren't childish and we still Mm -hmm. needed to show it. You know, we came out of that 86 school, you know, the 89 Batman that was all about that and so a marvel knights and other thing that sort of you yeah. know, reset everything in a serious way yeah. yeah and we thought that that meant it was valid and then so a you over time you sort of age and mature and you, you realize that some of the positions aren't worth having but then two i mean i think largely like we found ways over these years to appreciate those things in a way that we didn't have the capacity for at the time right. and so you know wait what if silver age comics were more popular than anything that is published today so what is it about that? People weren't stupider then. People were the same people that are here now. You know, so what is it about it that's great? You sort of start to appreciate that, and then you see how that then affects the things that came after it. I mean, I would say that's probably pretty close to my answer, too. Yep. I would say, though, if I had to pinpoint a thing, you know, when we started this, I shouldn't have been on a comics podcast. No one should have listened to me because I was like, I don't get Jack Kirby. How fucking stupid is that? That's the dumbest thing ever. That's like saying you're a massive music fan and I really care about music history and I don't get the Beatles. What's that all about? It's that dumb. But I also think that is an interesting journey to go on with someone. Yes. So I don't think that you shouldn't have been on a show. I think it's interesting to start in that point. And through the course of these low 905 shows, you can mm-hmm. hear the way that you uh, look right. at a comic or appreciate a comic or understand the history of a comic has, has changed and grown. And you can take that journey with him. I think it's part of why That's shows... True. Like ours are successful. I think that's part of why people go back and re-listen. We have a lot of people all the time tell us, I'm on my fourth re-listen of all your shows. And we think it's crazy, but it's an interesting arc that happens through that show. I'm embarrassed about that opinion because it's very ignorant. But the fact is I was ignorant. Yeah. I was. I just, I didn't know. And and a lot of times when you don't know, you don't know you don't know or you definitely think you know. And that is the mark of many a young man. (laughs) What? I am proud of the growth that was able to occur you know, for myself, for you in a way that ultimately has led us and hopefully the listeners to being able to appreciate the art form even more than they ever did. Because the fact is you can cut out lots of things. You can say, I don't like this. I don't like this. I don't like that. But if you're able to appreciate more of it, that's just, that's to the greater good. Yeah. And I th- back to what I said before, I think it's really important, especially in a medium like this, in a fandom like this, where people sort of formulate opinions and tend to dig their heels in it and, and keep it forever, is that it's important to change and to grow and to learn and have your opinions and your mentality change as you learn more about something. And I think that's what should happen as you get older. And so things that you didn't like as a kid, you know, maybe you like them now as an adult, as a middle-aged man. Yeah. And the earlier, the better. We'll all be better off if, if you sort of have managed to have that flexibility of mind in many ways. I want to say this. I don't think what? we've ever got that question before, Kane, which is not nothing And after 905 episodes. So thank you for writing that in. Yeah, Contact.fanboy.com uses how Kane wrote in. Thanks for doing so. We only have a few shows left, so you, if you're going to get your e- email read, get it in we now. We go back and listen, and we could find a lot more of those dumbass things oh, we God, said. so many more. not going to do that. Mediasplode is also a place, although we're done for the year. Starting in January, you can write it in for Mediasplode and put Mediasplode in the subject line. Thank you very much. Out now, Josh's Talksplode interview with Jason Aaron is back on the feed. In front of that one is our Mediasplode, the year in mailbag, the final Mediasplode of the year. We did a bunch of emails. that was super fun. Right behind the show, it came out. Just this past week, Josh, Paul, and I reviewed the Marvels, the latest Marvel Cinematic Universe film. You can find that right behind the show in the feed. Uh, it was a fun discussion. And like I alluded to, we're getting towards the end of the year. We have six more shows after this, three of which are pickups of the week and three are special shows. We have our Booksplode Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles show will come out on November 30th. The final Talksplode of the year will come out in around December 14th. And then the All Media Year and Roundup will come out on December 17th. That's our last show of the year. Our last pick of the week show will be December 10th. Episode 908 is the final one. Then we'll be back January 7th with episode 909. So that's that's the schedule, the holiday schedule. And we'll come back refreshed. Or way behind on reading. One of those things will happen. 
Yes. Depending on how it was in the Kindle app, apparently. Sure. You can find our library of 1,300 plus shows and counting over at ifambo.com, wherever podcasts are sold. Those ones that we were just talking about, the old ones where we were trying desperately to uh, know what we were talking about. And at some point, I definitely, <laughs> in my own life, I got very good at being like, oh, I, I don't know. And it's okay that I don't know, but I doubt right. I was there that early. Don't be certain. This is one of my main life advice things. Don't be so sure. You don't know. Tell my kids that. That's over at ifanboy.com. Wherever you get your podcast, that'll be there. You can follow us at ifanboy comics on Instagram. You can find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out. And sometimes the best of the week in panels is there. You can follow us individually, CS Kilpatrick and J.A. Flanagan on Instagram. Yes, and subscribe to our YouTube page, youtube.com slash ifanboy. Smash that like button, the subscribe. There's a bell that does something. I don't know what, but it's there. You can find all of our old video shows as well as this show every week. And if you want to see some more crazy, uninformed opinions, you can go back to 2007 and watch us on the couch talking about comics. And it's Mm. fun. And please consider writing us a review or leaving a star rating. If you can't become a patron, if you can't buy any merch or you can't use our Amazon link to shop for the holidays, our holiday gift to us could be a review or a star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We just want to bury around comics to the point where they never see the light of day. Wow. They don't even feel the rain on their face. That's how much we want to bury them. Also cash. <laughs> also <laughs> also gift cards. Hey, thanks for listening. That was fun. I enjoyed that. Yeah, it was a good time. That was good. Uh, I enjoyed talking comics with you, Josh, for 905 episodes. And here's to 905 more. I'm Connor. That's I'm um, Josh. I, I don't know what I started to say there, but I am Josh. We're going to go with that. We'll see you folks soon. Or hear you. You'll hear us. I don't know. We might. Well, hopefully we may not see them. That's not how this works. Breaking up so hard to do Especially when it's with you Do me a favor Just make it easy